0: Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Good morning. In addition to the scripture that Laurie read from the book of Joshua, hear these words from the letter to the Romans. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. I love being a minister, and I love being a minister in the United Church of Canada. Later this year, I will pass the 44th anniversary of my ordination. Boy, that seems like a long time now. While I've preached here at uh, TEMC Eaton Church four or five times before, it was always in the summer. So it feels like I need to share some bits of my story and my experiences in the faith adventure in the hope of... Connecting a wee bit for our time ahead. And I want to start with this simple statement. Faith leaks. Faith leaks. This God stuff can be a challenge. It can be confusing. It can be hard. So many versions of God are out there. So many barriers to healthy faith can block us? Can we we even know God exists? And what kind of God are we talking about? All those questions can swirl. There's the story of the atheist who was determined to demonstrate that God did not exist. So he went into a public place, maybe the Eaton Center. He struck a match and declared to all the spectators and to those around him that God should strike him dead before the match went out. When the flame died and the man did not, any hope of his ever becoming a believer died with it. Now, I suspect many of us think the story's a little bit silly Yet it's worth looking at for a moment just to see where it goes wrong. In our story, this confident atheist concluded that because the Almighty did not strike him dead when challenged to do so, then God doesn't exist. But there are other ways to understand the man's survival. It may be, for example, that God doesn't want to play silly games fabricated by foolish atheists, and he doesn't want to play by their invented rules. Or God may think she's under no obligation to react just because those who don't believe in her want to put her to the test. Or again, and by the way, you saw that, heard that, her, him, God is neither. So I'll use different pronouns We know it's God. Again, it may not be part of the divine nature to wipe people out, even if they're silly enough to challenge them to do so. And for that matter, this might actually demonstrate God's true nature of mercy and grace, because he refuses to destroy someone who doesn't believe in him. It may even be that God has other plans for this unbelieving person. So what can I believe? What do I believe? And what do I suggest as a United Church minister? What do I suggest that you believe and that you live by? I've had had several experiences. I'm going to convey a couple of them to you that have clarified my understanding of God. One of them was in a university laboratory. I was 19 years old, histology 101. I was looking down a microscope at the islets of Langerhans. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. The islets of Langerhans are tiny secreting cells in the pancreas, and this is 45 years ago but I remember looking and thinking they were incredibly beautiful the way they had been prepared and stained for, for that micro, microscope slide and these islets in our pancreas they secrete in order that we our, our metabolism would turn what we have eaten into energy they're working right now on the muffin you had for breakfast these islets of language. And I sat looking at that absolutely awed by the complexity and intricacy of human physiology. And the more we know, the more it points me to wonder and awe and worship. We're making incredible progress in medicine, in cosmic physics, and plotting the adaptation of the species as Darwin first documented. For me, all of that leads to a God as an awesome, brilliant creator. So much made with intricate complexity. I'll give you some other examples. Dr. Paul Brand is a surgeon who's worked in East India, in Asia for decades on leprosy patients trying to surgically repair the damage to their joints and limbs from the disease. And he says, Dr. Brand says, I know of no procedure that succeeds in improving a normal hand. He continues, after operating on thousands of hands, I must agree with Isaac Newton. You remember Isaac Newton, the English scientist who discovered gravity and detailed the laws of thermodynamics. Dr. Brand says, quoting Isaac Newton, in the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. Look at that. For those of you in the radio, I'm clasping and opening up my thumb and fingers. Brilliant design and construction. Let me give you one more example. Do you know of, have you heard of the ductus arteriosus? It's a bypass vessel. It roots blood directly to a developing fetus's extremities, to the arms and legs, uh, to the brain, as the fetus is inside mother's womb. But at the moment of birth, Suddenly all blood must pass through the lungs to receive oxygen because now the baby loses its connection to mother's oxygen through the umbilical cord. And in a flash, a flap descends like a curtain deflecting the blood flow now through the infant's lungs and a muscle constricts the ductus arteriosus. After performing that one act, the muscle gradually dissolves and gets absorbed by the rest of the body. Without this split-second adjustment, the baby could not survive outside of its mother's womb. Who designed that? Brilliant. That kind of scientific knowledge points me to a supreme creator. And knowing that God fills me with wonder and awe. There was a song back when I was in science at university. There was a song we sang in one of the uh, faith groups that I drifted toward. Listen to these lyrics. In the stars, his handiwork I see. On the wind he speaks with majesty, Sure, he ruleth over land and sea. What is that to me? Till by faith I met him face to face and I felt the wonder of his grace. Then I knew that he was more than just a God who didn't care, who lived away out there. And now he walks beside me day by day, ever watching o'er me, lest I stray, helping me to find that narrow way. He's everything to me. So I knew there was a God who was a magnificent, brilliant creator, a master designer. It's that second part, though, the God who's more than just a force out there who doesn't care. No, I also came to experience a God who is close and who we can lean into. And this, too, happened in several incidents, but the one that cemented it was a spiritual experience, one of those Marker moments in life you remember it decades later. It happened some 35 years ago. I was alone in New Jersey. I'd driven far from home, and I was about to begin a university program that i I knew I didn't deserve to be in. I don't know how I got into it. I was feeling intimidated and isolated and. A little bit scared. So on Sunday morning, I'm beginning the program the next day. Sunday morning, I took my anxious spirit to Nassau Street Presbyterian Church in Princeton. And I was alone. I sat in the back row. It was so hot and sticky that my shirt stuck to the wooden pew. But in the service, they read a scripture story. And my mild interest grew, and then it moved from first from curiosity to actual eager listening. And it was this story that Laurie read to us a few moments ago about a youthful Joshua, courageous and confident. He had been sent, just out of his teens, he had been sent into en- enemy territory as a spy, and he had come back. A dozen other, ten other spies came back saying, we can't defeat, we can't invade, we'll be overwhelmed. Joshua came back confident and said, no, God is with us. We can do this. And God recognized and built on his courage and his trusting faith so that God repeatedly, and this is what Laurie read to you, God repeatedly said, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you he will not fail you or forsake you for me on that hot summer morning in new jersey it was just what i needed to hear god goes with us we need someone who goes with us don't we? our lives aren't fixed static in one place in one moment we are moving all the time moving through space and time And we need a God who does that, who moves with us. To go can be a lot of things, can't it? It can be to move to a new community, to start a new program in a school, to begin a new career, to end an old job. To go is also to be wheeled into the operating room or to move alone, into a retirement residence after so many years together. This is why we need a God who goes with us. And for me, on that sticky summer morning, something changed. As Walter Alston, I still remember, I never met the man, but I still remember his name and I can see him, the preacher. As he spoke, a presence came around me a reassurance that I, far from home, I wasn't alone. And I went into that seminar room the next morning with an anticipation, a quiet enthusiasm, no longer afraid, excited, curious, but fear gone. I knew that God was with me. Till by faith I met him face to face and I felt the wonder of his grace, then I knew that he was more than just a God who lives out there, a God who doesn't care. And now he walks beside me, day by day, ever watching o'er me lest I stray, helping me to find that narrow way he's everything to me. Okay, so those experiences in science labs and journeying far into unknown territory gave me an awesome God who I could lean on and lean into in every life situation. But not everyone sees it that way. And many, many don't have the experiences I've had. In fact, sometimes some of us can have a completely different understanding and experience of the Almighty. We need to acknowledge that. What might interfere with our experience or our Knowing God? What might block our experience of God's gracious power and presence with us? I'll suggest at least three things compassion fatigue, loneliness and isolation, guilt. Let me unpack those for a moment. Compassion fatigue. Most of us remember Mother Teresa. She's gone 20 years and more now, but Mother Teresa experienced doubts and struggle in her religious beliefs. And this struggle lasted over 50 years as you read her journal. Teresa expressed grave doubts about God's existence and emotional pain over her lack of faith. She was angry at herself. Listen, I'll read right from her journal. Where is my faith? Even deep down, there's nothing but emptiness and darkness. If there be a God, please, please forgive me. When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return to me like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Mother Teresa, now Saint Teresa of Calcutta, saw so much pain and suffering in the crowded streets there and in the many places around the world that she was overwhelmed by compassion fatigue what else can interfere with our experience in knowing god i'll suggest secondly loneliness and isolation two years ago next week i was in norwich england and i spent the better part of a day in a tiny cloistered cell that's attached to a little church In Norwich. And in that cell, almost 700 years ago, a nun lived for decades. She prayed, she wrote, she spoke to people in the garden outside. She had a little window she couldn't see out, but she could talk, and people would come and talk to her. But she lived completely for decades alone in that little cell. Julian of Norwich. We're going to do a study of her writings during Lent. Make a mental note. Laurie and I are gonna lead 40 days with Julian of Norwich. It was hard for her. She persevered and her writings have strengthened so many. Listen, she wrote, Pray, even if you feel nothing, see nothing. For when you are dry, empty, sick or weak, At such a time is your prayer most pleasing to God, even though you may find little joy in it. And this is true of all believing prayer. So, compassion fatigue, loneliness and isolation. What else could interfere with our knowing God? Lastly, grief. C.S. Lewis, professor taught at Cambridge and Oxford, wrote brilliant books both novels and theology. He was a longtime bachelor, but later in life, he married. And he was very happy, he and his wife Joy, but she contracted cancer. And he lost her after a very painful battle. And his faith was jolted. Again, from his book, A Grief Observed, listen. Listen. When you are happy, so happy you have no sense of needing God, so happy that you're tempted to feel God's claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to God with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, you will be welcomed with open arms. But, go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. Because C.S. Lewis did not give up in time, he was able to say, I have gradually been coming to feel the door is no longer shut and bolted. He came to see that God's silence during his grief was not a, a sign of indifference or cruelty or abandonment. Rather, God was at work for good in his life and in his spirit. And his journey and maturity deepened through all of that. So here's the thing. There are a lot of versions of God out there, many of which you need not believe in. And there are a lot of life events that can block our experience of God and knock us off. Compassion, fatigue, loneliness, grief, and there is more. The truth is, faith leaks. That's why I believe you and I need to know the living God shown in Jesus through the presence of his Holy Spirit. There are a lot of events, distractions and hardships that could separate us from the God who wants to know and love us and go with us. The thing is, we can't learn enough or work enough or serve enough to earn God's presence and love. It's a gift freely given, joyfully received and constantly available. Now there's an important distinction to emphasize that makes all the difference in making this faith fun and free and joyful, as opposed to a duty an obligation And the difference is grace, amazing grace. Listen again. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a huge gap between two ways of living and understandings of the Christian faith. The great gulf is between trying to live by our efforts and the understanding that God accepts us because of what Jesus has done. Legalistic religion is about our efforts. But when I'm honest, I think when all of us are honest, we know deep down, we're never fully living up to the standards. We're not praying as often as we should. We're not loving and serving our neighbor as much as we should. We're not keeping our inner thoughts as gracious and merciful or pure as we should. And when we're relying on that, the result can be a lot of internal guilt and anxiety. But the operating principle of the Christian gospel is I am accepted by God through what Christ has done. It ain't what I've done. Now, here's what's fascinating. Stay with me. I'm getting near the end. But I want you to see this distinction. Two people living their lives on the basis of these two different principles may both sit next to each other. In the church pew, they both pray. They both give money generously. And they're both loyal and faithful to their family and church and trying to live decent lives. However, they do so out of two different motivations and mindsets. And the result is two different kinds of lives. What I'm saying is, open your life to the God seen in Jesus, and it is liberating, freeing, joy-filling. Receive the grace he offers, and everything changes. The founders of every other religion essentially came as teachers, good teachers, many of them. They came to say, do this and this, and you will find the divine, you will connect with the divine. But Jesus came essentially as a savior. He was a great teacher, no doubt about that. Brilliant. But he also said, I am the divine come to you. Do what to do. I will do what you cannot do for yourselves. And the Christian message is we are saved not by our record, but by Christ's record. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus has to save me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus is glad to give his life to rescue me. And that leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. On the one hand, because of the Christian gospel, we're humble, but we're also confident. This undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I can't feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I don't think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. I don't need to notice myself, how I'm doing, how I'm being regarded. The only opinion that matters is God's And God has already accepted me. Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely. And if you fail him, will love and forgive you eternally. That, my friends, is the God we know. And we proclaim. And we worship. And we serve. Amen. Amen.